Don't pull that face. Why? Because it makes me uncomfortable. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 70th ever one and only Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. My name is Quentin Smith. I like board games an awful lot, and I am joined this Christmas by Matthew Lees. Ah, oh, Christmas. It warms the cockles. It, it heats the heart at about 20 centigrade for 14 hours. I love Christmas in all of its forms. But you know what I love more than Christmas? Games? Being uh, a human resources issue in terms of smiling at you across the table. <laughs> Once again, Matt and I, uh, it's just its just Matt and myself this time because Paul has been ejected from Canada <laughs> like a cannonball from some kind of Paul-shaped cannon. Uh, so what happened with Paul, uh, if people are curious, and hey, there are some people out there that care about Paul. I mean, I'm not one of them. No, I don't. I've, I've heard they exist, no. Yeah, so uh, what happened with Paul? Paul is currently going through an application for visa residency in Canada. We wish him luck. Um, however, as part of that application, Canada has gone, can you just leave for a while? It's so, kind of a test. It's kind of like if you love someone, let them go. I think it's like, oh, you really want to live here and you're legitimate? Oh, yeah? How about you leave? And then if you go, oh, I don't want to leave, then they're like, hey, we've got to leave. I mean, it, it it's some weird reverse psychology stuff going on here, I think. I think the truth is, uh, if, if I can be candid for a second. Sure. Because there's this really grim thing that I went through and found out uh, when I tried to get a spousal visa for my wife who's American mm-hmm. um, and other people I know who've gone through visa stuff there's some as soon as you do it you're like oh they make this unbelievably difficult yep. they want to test that you've got money yep. they want to test that you have kind of the resources in your life to like bounce between countries and fill out really complicated forms and yeah. And, that is uh, basically it, isn't it? It's a test to be like, can you just leave the country this week and that's not a problem for you because you can just go and live somewhere else? And, then, and if that is a problem for you, then they don't want you there. It's pretty nasty. It's the most wonderful time of the year. They honestly have kicked him out just before Christmas. I saw it's cold, isn't it? a poll uh, recently that more than 50% of Americans would skip Christmas if they could because of the financial burden to buy uh, gifts. Well, it's just after Thanksgiving for them, and they treat that more seriously. Yes, but travel for them. They don't really buy gifts. Yeah, yeah, it's travel and food costs are, you know, not... They have to buy so many marshmallows and sweet potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But no, seriously, he's he's doing fine. He's actually taking it remarkably well. He's just like, yeah, sure, this is a thing. I knew this might happen. Fine. I'm like, wow, I think if it was me, I'd be like, I've got to leave my life. Mm -hmm. I'd be really sad, but he's doing great. He's uh, accepted, uh, you know, making hay while the sun shines. He's accepted uh, a guest spot headlining an Arizona-based board game convention. (laughs) Uh, he'll be basically Mad Max by the time he comes back to Canada he'll have seen things um, so if you do live in Arizona and are curious about visiting uh, a board game convention and Paul I'm sure if you google the words Arizona and Paul Dean yeah. that's going to be the first result I think it's Arizona board game convention the head <laughs> I lost myself laughing today because literally the header image for it was just a massive picture of Paul <laughs> and I don't know why but going to a website and having like a massive header image that's just Paul uh, really really tickles me talking of that actually if you are one of the, the many people who are um, helping the site to thrive and continue by being a, a donor. We're, we're, I've just finished putting together a blooper video, which will be in the newsletter for people who donated. Yes, so um, we're currently in our Christmas funding drive. Uh, don't worry, everybody. We will get to the board games in like less yeah, than 60 seconds. Um, but Shut Up and Sit Down has no adverts. It is funded entirely by one, like 90% of our, yeah. our financial stake comes from... Uh, I didn't use the word stake correctly there. No, no. Um, I, I envisioned a big piece of meat. If you imagine a steak, like a big piece of meat, Ooh, 90% of that, that yeah. steak that we need to eat to survive is people giving us money. Yeah, and there is there is other stuff. There is like peppercorn sauce, but it's really only a small amount of peppercorn sauce and it's it's nothing compared to the steak. If anything, you wish you had more sauce for the steak. Yeah. Oh, can we have steak for dinner? Uh, no. Oh. So, I anyway, I was going to say that there's a part of this blooper reel which I had a ton of fun putting together because basically it was mainly just footage throughout the year of all of us working together and having a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. That was what really shone through for me. But there were some bits with Paul. There's a bit where he's trying to film in front of a seaplane and I'm sure he won't mind me taking the mick out of him for this but he's getting increasingly frustrated about the noise from planes from seaplanes ruining his ability to to film a shot and he's getting seriously annoyed about it in a a TV presenter style way of him eventually walking off being like no I've had enough of this and it's pure television but then it hit me with the second realisation that he's trying to film in front of a seaplane dock (laughs) (laughs) he's getting really annoyed about 
planes and I just lost it. I thought it was really funny. So we are releasing this uh, on the tw- this podcast on the 21st of December. The 21st of December, if you would like to receive the December donor newsletter, anyone who donates to Shut Up and Sit Down in a given month gets a behind-the-scenes newsletter. Um, this month it's going to contain a blooper reel cut together with Matt, our plans for 2018, mm-hmm. uh, the reviews, uh, early thoughts on the games we've got coming up in January, February for review um so 21st of december is the last day you can donate and get access to the secret newsletter and as a bonus one time ever this christmas uh if you donate we are going to give you access to all the newsletters we've ever written so it's like twenty thousand words of of us being honest about our feelings and our lives and our games it's mainly me talking about what kind of television i like watching and why it's paul talking about movies from the 80s and me talking about occasionally books yeah you read I always feel bad every time when it's like hey write some stuff in the newsletter Matt it's like what you've been reading and I'm just like I'm uncultured I've been reading Facebook <laughs> um, it's very sad so moving on to board games hey Matthew just published if you go to Shut Up and Sit Down's YouTube channel a whopper a stonker a stone cold bin liner full of <laughs> Gloomhaven opinions it's oh, man. 35 minutes long I think if you put the actual box of Gloomhaven in a bin liner it probably it would have to be a high quality bin liner to even hold it I think a lot of the cheaper ones would just tear apart and that's the same with the quantity of opinions I've pulled into <laughs> <laughs> if you sort of shouted all of your Gloomhaven review into a bin bag it, it would, would rip. tear it wide open it would be like uh, the, uh, the dress in uh, Kate Bush's um Wuthering Heights video it would be blowing away in the wind with bright lights everywhere it would be very dramatic do you have anything uh, to tell people about Gloomhaven that wasn't in the last podcast or in your video review oh man you know there was like a couple of things which got cut from the video review just because it got to a point where I was like this is ridiculous yeah um, I think one thing I, I did want to mention and it's funny because I fell afoul of this in my video review I got it wrong it's the fact I kept referring to my mind thief rat character as being a he well actually it's not it's a lady rat and that's kind of awesome it's kind of indicative of the general state of affairs that I got that wrong of being like it's a rat creature of course it's a man uh, which is you know that's just the culture we live in and it's it's faintly rubbish but also I have to say and I did cut this out of the script in the end because I was like look you know you don't need to mention this and there's so much to say but uh, the yeah the, the character design was inventive in Gloomhaven and that meant actually having a widespread of decent female characters that's good and that's what it boils down to basically it's like has a designer thought about the characters and if that's the answer is yes then chances are that will mean You've actually got some decent women in there. Do you as fight well. any? Uh, do you fight any women? Because that's what that's I'm interested a, in. I mean, yeah, there are actually. I think the archers are uh, the guard archers. Obviously, you can't tell with a lot of the creatures. I mean, I, I imagine. Oh, that, like this fire demon? Yeah. <laughs> is, I mean, is it a lady? Probably some of them are. Um, I mean, and hey, genders not binary, folks. No, we're, we're living in the 21st century. That. You know, rat demon could be a they, could be, you know... Exactly, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in there. But it was just, yeah... You have to ask it. Can you ask uh, what pronoun the fire demon would like? I think that's fair. But, I mean, arguably, um, I'm there to murder them for um, jobs. Yeah, but you can murder them politely, though, can't you? I don't think you can, actually. I think when you're murdering people, there's a degree of of, um, disrespect... That is true. Uh, just generally, broadly speaking. But no, I was I was happy with it. People seem to be uh, happy. Um, uh, lots of people have enjoyed the fact that it's it's a it's a blend of of, of passion and wild, unchained passion, but also <laughs> like genuine criticism. And uh, yeah, no, it's nice that people. I seem to get that and they're kind of not on the fence because sometimes people don't like any form of criticism or or just raw passion. You know, in my videos that I'm going to inevitably do in 2018, I would like to experiment with a bit of that. I think I might, I must have done it in video reviews in the past, but I would like to have a game that I review in 2018 and go, I don't know if my opinion on this is correct because a lot of the time that is how I feel, but I think I was impressed by how honest you were and... You know, and I, you, I guess you had the space to be honest. And in that review, it's kind of interesting because you're almost like having an argument with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Which is something that I feel like I often sacrifice in the name of conciseness. No, and I think that's a good thing, to be honest. I think uh, it's something you touched upon that our friend Clark mentioned is it's like, it's kind of all right that this is a really big review because it's kind of an end of year blowout. It's half an hour long thing. It's huge. It's, it's too long. I mean, I should have really cut it down. But in the end, I realized the process of actually chopping it into the standard format of 15 minutes would have meant just as much work again. So I was like, no. No, it's just going to be big. Fine. It's mm-hmm. got to get done. Um, but no, I mean, I think there is inherently a, a strange internal conflict with any kind of review. And that's definitely with the video game stuff I've been doing over the past few years. That's definitely been a big part of it of of actually rather than just being like, this is exactly what I think and I'm 100% right. Actually embracing that that kind of 
um, lack of clarity. And I think that's particularly true in video games where you're not sure how much you're playing the game and how much it's playing you. And I think especially because Gloomhaven does reflect so much of being like a video game, as the reasons I talk about in the, in the review, I think maybe that's why it was especially important to talk about that, of being like, because the main sense I was getting for my first three or four sessions of Gloomhaven was I was like, gosh, it's addictive. I wanted to keep playing it. But then it's like, whenever anything is addictive to me, that's like the point where I have to start reeling my brain in very carefully and being like, why? Well, this is it, right? I think, um, you know, the dialogue in board games tends to be, this game is good, when something that's a bit more clever is saying, I like this game. Mm -hmm. But something's even more, something that is even more clever than that is saying, I think I like this game yeah. and giving yourself like because as soon as you make that statement instead of this game is good you leave yourself the room to analyze why to analyze if you're correct because you know mm. we're all fallible mm-hmm. and uh, you know something that I will very rarely admit is like obviously we've reviewed hundreds of games of those hundreds there are reviews most of which I look at and go yeah I still 100% believe that mm-hmm. but it's impossible for me well, to look yeah. at my back catalogue and go, I agree with all my reviews, but then people will go, oh, well, which reviews do you think are now incorrect? And so help me, I will never tell anyone. Well, the thing is, you get that weird relationship as well, and I think a lot of the time you don't realise whether or not whether or not your relationship with a game is true, is not the best word, but it'll do, until the point where it either sours or it doesn't. And I think that's what a lot of it comes down to. If you've, Especially with a game, if you have a relationship where you're kind of hooked to it and you love it and you want to play it all the time, if then the end of that relationship ends with sourness, that's often an element, and it's true of any relationships, if you feel like you've been somehow, you were somehow tricked or somehow your feelings were not true. Whereas and, I, and yet even if that relationship ends terribly, it doesn't take away the fact that you had fun together. Exactly, and for how long? And that, that for me was the final thing. Are we still talking about games or are we talking about romantic <laughs> relationships? It's life and the way we attach, attachments, it's all the same stuff. I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, at some point, actually, I don't think it's been on YouTube yet, but at some point we'll have the chat I had with uh, oh, Alan Gerding. Alan Gerding at Shucks about psychology, and that was just basically talking about life more than anything else, but that was a really fun chat. And uh, Well, yeah. yeah, at some point, at some, like, dreadful point, the board game industry is going to have to ask itself, do we like playing board games, or do we just like receiving boxes in the mail and yeah. opening them? <laughs> um, because, you know... It's it's a not small part of this hobby. Especially as they get better at that element and people are finessing this process of what it's like to open a box and Legacy is an extension of that. Yeah. But the thing I felt with, with Gloomhaven was I thought, you know what, I've played this probably for about 30 hours and I could see myself maybe after another 20 hours being like, eh, I might be done with this. But that's like way longer than I play anything else. Yeah. And like if you've got a bit of disposable income and that's like fine for you, then yeah, cool. Especially if you're chipping with friends. You know, you're looking at like with three people, that's a hundred hours of time <laughs> gone from your life. Yeah. As if by magic. You're reminding me of those like stats on our YouTube channel now where it's like, you know, I think your Gloomhaven review was up for two days and then it was like, it has been watched for a total of seven years of human yeah, time. It's just, I mean, those things I can't even understand, but um, hey, that's why I really try and make them entertaining. <laughs> this has been uh, a real charming ramble, but let's uh, let's burrow down and yeah. let's talk about some of the board games we've been playing. Absolutely. Should we start with uh, Trees? Yes. Well, which is not the name of the game. The name of the game is Photosynthesis, which is a game that's got quite a lot of hype, but um, has sold out almost everywhere. I think mm-hmm. I picked up one of the last copies in the UK. I don't even think you can get it in America. as by Blue Orange Games. So, Matt, do you want to talk a bit about Photosynthesis? So, Photosynthesis is the process in which plants turn... Uh... The board game <laughs> Photosynthesis. I'm terrible. I'm really... I'm a bad human. Um, I fed you a Coke... Uh, zero cherry yes. and you have just gotten so randy I know it's unbelievable I'm randy for life <laughs> and more fizzy drinks and nothing else do you want another one this is a family podcast no I'm fine basically it's a game whereby you build little trees you all have different types of trees and you have uh, small trees bigger trees and really big trees and you have a little shop of trees in front of you and you place them on a circular um, shared board shared board which is like fields and really the kind of gimmick of the game is that you have this sort of like thing that clips onto the edge of the board as it goes around to six locations is the sun pointing at all the trees so each turn it moves around and the sun is pointing in a new direction and the game works by you then get points based on how many of your trees are getting light and you get more points for bigger trees but the kicker is and this is i think really cool and really neat um 
you only get points if your tree gets hit by sunshine and it won't if there's a tree next to it or a bigger tree considerably close to it. And it's kind of got a system that's actually, and this is one of the reasons I, I liked it personally, was that I found the system very easy to understand and very easy to read on the board to work out how many points you actually got. Yes. Um, but it's like, if you've got a small tree, but then there's a small tree just in front of the side of you in the sun, then you don't get any points. But also, if it's a really big tree, then it means for three spaces, it covers everything with yes, shade. Yes, because huge trees cast massive shadows. Yeah, so you have this thing where everyone's trying to build big trees, but it becomes a weird arms race where you're trying to desperately make you're, your trees You're using shorter. all the terminology of, like, war games. You're like, I'm building a force of trees that will block out the sun. Well, it's a game, isn't it? <laughs> and, yeah. And, I mean, that's there's a degree of, like, you know, it's, it's abstract if you're trying to get more points than anyone else, but it it was more actually like it was actually more passive aggressive than aggressive it was like i found myself trying to make my trees bigger just because i was i wanted to ensure that they'd always get be able to get light yeah. and the problem is by doing that you're then blocking everyone else which means everyone else gets bigger and yeah or you didn't really want to have the biggest trees you just wanted to make sure that you could just pop above and be like i'm yeah. always getting light and then the way you actually get points is after you've raised your trees to this this full huge size, um, then uh, you can spend a few more energy points, a few more light points to kind of remove them from the board mm-hmm. and score a bunch of points, which uh, which got then you points based on how sort of good quality the soil was. So mm-hmm. everyone's sort of like creeping towards and spreading their seeds towards so yeah, the middle of the board. Everyone kind of like pushes towards the middle, which means that suddenly you're competing for like a lot of you know, big trees in the centre. But then there's the thing of being like, well, maybe you stay at the edge and there's not going to be as much competition. But then if you get a really big tree at the edge, you can really mess with everyone else because the sun is just getting completely blocked by these massive trees. Yeah, and of course, if you let your trees grow and then explode in a Dragon Ball Z shower of victory points, then you're blocking less space. So you're mm-hmm. helping everyone else's economy. I think, so it was... it. I, you were the person at the table who liked it most yeah, out of four so. of us. Yeah. I think I found it, you know, I found it frustrating. I found it, weirdly, the thing that's so cool where the sun rotates and then casts uh-huh. different shadows. The thing that got to me was that every time I thought I had a good move, and maybe I'm just an idiot, but I feel like I play a lot of games. I feel like it was uniquely frustrating that every time I had a board state I liked, I would be like, oh, but the sun's going to rotate. And then it would be the opposite of what I wanted. So if I was casting shadows that were effective... Hmm. Uh, casting shadows on like other people's trees then when the sun rotated suddenly I'd be casting the same shadows on my own trees yeah I didn't I never felt truly clever I, but right. you won our game right yeah I did and I felt really clever um, so <laughs> I mean maybe you dropped the puzzle like no actually yeah you, you're kind of right but I think maybe that's why and actually weirdly I've been playing a game a video game this week uh, for uh, the Cool Ghosts project we're working on a game called Viva Piñata. Uh, cool Ghosts is Matt and my uh, video game side project. Uh, and we posted Cool Ghosts Episode 1, the new reboot, uh, which is mm. maybe one of the best things you and I have ever... Yeah. Pro- probably the best thing you and I have ever done together. Mm-hmm. So if you're at all interested in video games, Cool Ghosts Episode 1 is on YouTube and uh, well worth a watch because... And I say that not plugging my own stuff. We put it in front of the Shut Up and Sit Down audience and they all liked it. Yeah, so. it's it's legitimately very good. I mean, I... I <laughs> if we... I mean, like, how often do we say that, that on the podcast? I, I say that because I know I know the, the, the craft and hours that went into it. It's like not just being like, yeah, I'm talented. It's like, you know, these this is a process and things at the end of it are good. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um... Basically, Viva Pinata reminded me a lot, and it's something, there was something about it was quite chaotic. And you'd this was to, an old game for the Xbox, right? It was. It was an old game for the Xbox 360, which was all about having a garden full of creatures. And it, basically, the the thing I'm working on that I'll talk about in the future on on Core Ghost is to do with the chaotic nature of it and accepting this uh, this cycle and accepting there's a degree of lack of control and also just having to accept that things are going to go badly but accepting a lack of control is pretty fine if ultimately at the end of the lack of control you're the winner well and you mm. accepted the least control what i was going to say about it is that i thought was really quite neat is that the system itself was very simple um and the elements where it became interesting were the fact that you had a very limited amount of different types of trees in your shop so you know you had two big trees so once you put your two big trees on the board well you've got to cut one of them down Otherwise, you can't put another one down. Yeah. And you cut one down to get points, but then it's the thing of being like, the ones in the center are going to get you more points to win the game, whereas the ones on the edge won't get you as many points, but the ones on the edge will more reliably be getting sunshine, which is your economy, right? So you have this weird system of being like, when is the right time to start cutting down these trees to get them back into my shop? And having this weird juggle of trying to build up the money to then buy what you need and trying to basically find the bite point of when the game is going to turn. Yes, it felt a lot to me like I... 
And that, I felt that worked because the game had a set runtime. It was like however many rotations of the sun and then it's over. So you, you weren't having to gauge an, uh, a, a vague endpoint. The endpoint to me was clear and I had to work out, plan ahead. Yes. But then the other thing was, and I started to realise, and this, this is, I thought, because it was a very simple game, the fact where I thought this is clever, was knowing that these rotations were happening. So I had decisions and turns where I was like, oh, I should put this tree here or I should build this tree up here. But then I was like, well, there's no point building this tree up here now because it's only going to get a tiny bit of sun and it's not going to really get sun again until the sun four turns later when it's outside the board. So I was like, and also, you don't know what's going to happen then. So for me, it actually made the decision-making process a lot easier by looking at like the actually having this reliable game state where I could literally be like, is it worth investing in in making this tree? I said like a banker. Is it worth investing well, in this tree now? Because how much will it get me for the next three or four turns? Yeah, well, that's completely correct, right? Mm. But here's the thing. The one thing you and I would totally agree on is that it looks great. Oh, yeah. So, amazing. like, these having this completely blank sort of field with loamy soil in the middle, and then you have these seed tokens that the game starts with, your seeds getting blown onto the board, and then they turn into small trees, and then you can drop seeds, but you can drop seeds further if your tree is bigger. Mm-hmm. It looks beautiful. You craft a little forest and then big trees grow and big trees fall. Mm-hmm. Um, looks great. However, you know, theme and the pairing of theme with, like, game is an impossibly complicated subject in board games. Like, uh-huh. you, could, you could study it at university your whole life. But what you're talking about with, like, spreadsheets and bankers and pinch points and, and, like, the bite point of, like, well, this is the perfect time to cut down my tree is so the opposite of what they're doing with that theme. I want a nice game of sort of growing trees, but instead it's like it's like road rage, but with oh, trees. I don't know. I thought, I mean, I get what you mean. I think there was a lot of language. I, I thought it was kind of fuzzy, and I liked the sense of the rotations, and also the fact that, like, I liked the rhythm of it and the fact that you would have a turn which was really good for you, and then two turns later it would be disastrous. Well, that was, that was, that was completely excellent. And actually yeah. the fact that a lot of the time you do your best and things are kind of slightly out of your control, and when suddenly your tree that was really good is now useless because it's surrounded by other things, it's like, I found that perfect. For me, it was like, I don't think anything about it really excited me that much because I thought it was beautiful to look at and that's nice. But when we played it, I just found it to be something where I was just gently playing with systems, doing stuff. Some turns I did really well, other turns I didn't. I didn't get too frustrated because I understood that it was one of these games where just like the rotation of the sun, you can have some good days and some bad days. And (laughs) for me, it was like, I liked it because of the fact that it was a really simple game where there was elements for strategy and elements for trying to work out what other players were going to do and where it would be safe or beneficial to put a tree because you think no one else is going to do that. And I was mostly right on that front and I mostly made good choices. But then also the fact that at the end of the game it has that lovely neatening thing of, you know, it isn't like, oh, well, these small trees are worth points at the end. So you didn't have that, like crunching slowness of most games of this type where you get to the end and everyone's trying to squeeze out extra tiny points. Yeah, we all just... The only thing all of us had to do was our big tree falls over, don't it? Yeah, it accelerates. So it's like towards the end of the game where you kind of think, ah, you know, it didn't outstay its welcome and it just... And I thought there was something neat about that. A simple game with depth, but then it doesn't get crunchy and it just ended at a time where I thought, yeah. A nice... A nice um, sort of structure for a board game to have is like a bell curve, I guess, yeah. where it's like simple to begin with and it gets increasingly complicated and then narrows towards the end rather than that that exhaustion towards the end of a game. I thought it was one of those things where it wasn't necessarily like for us or maybe a bunch, but I thought it was a really neat family game. Yeah, I, I, can't, like really nice. I can't see us doing a video on it, but if people are curious, then they can buy Photosynthesis whenever it comes back in stock. So let's talk about a game that does excite us both, which mm. will be getting a big video next year and that I have teased so much on the site in the last month and a half. Let's talk about Sidereal Confluence. The absolute opposite of a fun family game. And the but absolute opposite of trees growing in a field, yeah. So Sidereal Confluence is a game where I had to look up what the words Sidereal and Confluence means. Basically, they it's could have the called it... the back of the box. Right? They actually have the dictionary definition. and then we're like, it's literally on the back of the box. But like... But they have to put it on the back of the box. If you have to define a, the, your title on the back of the box, that's not a good start, is it? And like... It's, it's a bit Kingdoms of Amalur, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Kingdoms of Amalur. If, <laughs> you can't drop these references. You can. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's a collection of words that uh, people expect to have any meaning where actually you're like, no, come on. Yeah. You invented this thing, but come on. Kings of Amalur, the video game of made by a baseball man? It's a weird thing, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's just nonsense. Yeah. It, yeah. So, um, Sidereal Confluence, which they could have called A Meeting in Space. <laughs> um, 
it's like that title is like a wobbly start and then the game just gets wobblier like it's like getting into your friend's car and he turns the engine and the engine like makes a noise like a dying man and then the car takes off into the road but like with a juddering like like he's left the handbrake on or something it is a tremendously ugly game um but what you're doing in it is everyone picks their own unique alien race, and then everyone's alien race is uh, coming together to form a super, a galactic super community. So you're all going to be working together to uh, learn all this technology and uh, and colonize planets. And it's a it's kind of an interesting because te- it's an interesting take on science fiction because like every other science fiction board game is saying. Oh well, you're going to be at war, obviously. Mm-hmm. Limited resources, but this is saying now, nah, if we all, if all of our aliens work together, uh, then you're all forming an alliance, and basically you're just trying to be the top dog within it. Well, right? here's the, the thing: it's thing. it's kind of like it's the the realpolitik of communism, where it's like we're all going to work together, but at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I will have worked together better than you. Yeah. Um. So it's it's a trading game. If people remember my review of Chinatown, that is one way to look at it but what we have is a combination it is a very complicated economic game where everyone has a complicated machine in front of them that only gets more complicated as the game goes on whereby you have essentially loads of cars each of which is a technology some of which are going to be unique to your race that let you turn cubes into different cubes yep and so there are like seven different kinds of cubes representing things from food to information to culture and then like for example when i was playing the squids i had some kind of elaborate cultural bone carving that meant i could turn food into culture sure which was like yeah. i mean to me it was constantly abstract i was just turning cubes into cubes yep and it's, that was fine like yeah. it was like you got small colored cubes and then bigger cubes with different colors and then and hypertech. Just, and then the hypertech which is a bit of wood and it's that thing of being like you know that like small cubes are fine bigger cubes are better bit of wood great i found in the early the game, victory points like, hey yeah exactly i found the early game lots of people like i wasn't i was making a lot of hyper cubes and and everyone seemed hot for them and i was like do you want this and i was like yeah and i'm like i, I well, had no use for them but they were really useful for the people so this is this is the twist so everyone gets cubes turns them into other cubes but uh, no one is making the right kind of cubes for their own machine. Mm. The game is designed so that all the different aliens produce slightly different stuff, which means that you just need to trade, and this is the meat of the game. The actual turning cubes into other cubes, that's like 15-20% of Sidero It's standard. It's like a basic game stuff. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's basic, but complicated and very crunchy but then the rest of it is just talking and trading you are an intergalactic stock market and it's real good oh it's so good like there was actually a point um it was like it's fine like we do disagree on stuff quite frequently but there was a point where you were so excited about this game that i kind of had this i was like oh i hope i like it just because i think i think quins will be sad if i don't like it and i would have been yeah yeah because it's like he clearly loves it so much but there's a point i think about 15 20 minutes in where i literally just sat there and i was just like my heart started vibrating with excitement about something I'd realised and I just turned to you and I was like, this is real good. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, this, is, this has got me. Of just the fact that basically you have this little machine and you have this cube machine but then you start to think, well, I could do with a couple of these cubes so you start talking, who's got some of these? But then the fact, as you say, you can lend your entire bits of your machine to other players for the turn. You yep. can be like, you can be like, well, you know what? I can't turn a hypercube into all this stuff this turn. So, do I want to try and buy a hypercube off someone, or do I want to just be like, hey, sell this who to wants the guy to with the hypercube? <laughs> yeah. And there are so many options there in terms of like what you can buy and sell with everyone, especially when we play with four people, and you can play it with. I've, you can play with nine. Nine, which I think would be an experience. Um, not necessarily. You would literally one for everyone, need. But- we would. We talked about how you would play it with the full nine players with because the game comes with nine different alien races that are all quite different and all mm-hmm. graded differently uh, in terms of difficulty. So if you want to, if you want to be an altruistic squid, you'd better be really, really good, good because I played an altruistic squid and I was bad. But then there's loads of simple races like Matt played simple bees. Simple bees, just bees, just bees making planets for people. Hey, do you want to buy a planet? I said to people, and most people went, nah. Like, <laughs> Screw you. That was fine. Yeah, I found another way. But that, that's almost the funny thing is for the first oh, few turns. But we... just to finish the, my point, um, the way you would have to play it with a full nine is we realised you would need like two or three separate tables. Yeah. And then those tables would trade with each other, but occasionally stand up and run over to another table with like a handful yeah. of cubes being like, I have all this culture, I need food. Because it has to be said, like we were, when we were playing, often it felt like you had enough going on with just your machine that you didn't really, in fact, like one of the people we played with didn't really do much at all in terms of trading because they were mostly just like focused on their own thing. 
thing. And that, I had points where I was just like, for turns, I just wasn't trading at all. Because I was like, you know what, actually, I've built myself a machine. I've got everything I need here. But, and this is it. This is where the icing on the cake comes. And this is how, like, you know, this is where the game becomes exciting and how you get really good is when you are optimizing your machine beyond the point of its own capacity by then like wheeling and dealing and just squeezing out every single so it's like not like most games like this where you're like oh i really messed this up i've got these cubes i can't use or whatever it's like yes you can use them yes exactly you can sell them to someone or you can or you can go in on something with somebody else or i mean and this is the thing deals are binding so unlike every other negotiation game ever where you go oh don't attack me next turn and then the person attacks you next turn in this if you say yeah i'll do this deal but you have to give me those cubes if they fail to give you those cubes for whatever reason the next turn they lose victory points which Mm -hmm. is like hellaciously punishing yeah. but it, but the fact that deals are binding me on multiple turns mean that let's say you've got some really good part of like an entire piece of your machine like if, if we're using the analogy we often use for German style economic management board games you're taking whole cogs out of that machine and giving them wholesale to someone but you might say I will give you this not just for next turn but for like the next three turns yeah. and even if they can't use it they'll be like oh but I might be able to use it like it it's a game which is so bitty and mechanical, and yet there's room to really play with people's oh, psychology. And this is why I think it's a really fascinating game. And it's interesting how, you know, when we played uh, Photosynthesis, it was a game where I looked at this and I thought, you know what, this game is fun, it's beautiful, it's not over complex, this is a fun game, families will love this. So Dual Confluence could not be the more other end of the spectrum in the fact that this is a game that is laser-pointed for us. <laughs> like, it's, it's crunchy and it's thoughtful and there's enough going on to really get your head constantly going, but it's a game that can be completely manipulated and shifted and changed just with a bit of willpower, a bit of uh, a bit of not trickery, but you I mean know. that some t- not yeah because it's difficult to be truly. I mean the thing is on the back of your player mean. card thing, which hides you've got a little stand that hides how many victory points you've got. On the back of that, it tells you like how the rough values of everything. It's like well this is worth about half a victory point. This is so when people are offering you deals, you can look at it and you can you can get a sense literally on paper is this a good deal or not. But that tells you nothing. Well, here's the fun thing. So when a like you say, when a round begins, people can be like lost in their machine. They'll be staring down at the like initially seven, but later on ten, eleven, twelve cards they've got. Going, well, hang on. What do I need to? What do I need to activate? What do I? What cubes do I need? Yeah. But when that trading phase begins, you might think, well, there's no time limit on a trading phase, although there can be. That's varied in the manual. Uh-huh. So you think, well, I've got loads of time. I'm just gonna look at my machine. But <laughs> yeah, no. when a trading phase begins, all the initial trades are like oh, I need a blue cube. Do you want a green cube? Yes, done. And you've both got what you want with a perfect deal. Yeah. If you lose yourself in your machinery and you look up and you're like, right, I need white cubes. Who's got white cubes? Is more often than not, people will be yeah. like, nah, sorry, I, we all bought all the white cubes we need. There's none. It's There's intense. literally none. There was points where like I was dealing with you and you were like, well, how about this? And I was thinking, and I was like, I was thinking, that's a good deal. But I was wondering, can I squeeze this anymore to get a better deal for myself? And I was just mulling it over in my head, at which point somebody else went, oh, what do you want? And you went this, and you went, yeah, fine. And then just made <laughs> made the deal that you'd offered me. And I was like, God damn well, it. The, like, now I can't... Oh. Well, my favourite moments in it are actually when... Um, you, is I, I don't know why I enjoy this so much, but I guess so often with board games, I enjoy them for bringing people together or getting them talking. But like when I'm talking to like say, let's say you and I'm yeah. like Matt, give me this deal, and another player equally aware of the time pressure will be going like Quins, Quins, I need to talk to you right now about hypercubes, yep. and I'm like yeah, and I have to turn to them and like very candidly, very professionally, I say I'm really sorry, I just need to wrap this up with Matt first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, but also there's an element of me being like, don't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I can sell you that, but like yeah, I mean that's the thing is you you. Can't Kind of, because you end up being this mad god of your little economic machine, being like, everyone, wait, form a queue to talk to me. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. of course, that's not... And there were times where I missed deals that were really good just because someone else stepped in with and accepted a worse deal because that mattered more to them, what they could get. Yeah. And I was like, oh... But I really loved it. Um, but I can also tell that it's one of these things where it would massively frustrate some people. And it would have that exact same element that Cosmic Encounter has, where if you're playing with one player who just doesn't really know what they're doing, it would fall apart. I mean, because if you have one, and I've had that, and I've had games of Cosmic which have been frustrating because one person has been like, oh, yeah, has given victory you can to come along on me on this attack. And you're like, why would you help them? They've got like three points already. What are you doing? And, you know, all it takes is one person to not be in the game and it kind of falls apart. That is true of quite a lot of board games, though. And I think, even no, if- but this one is, is like an un... 
it's like the free market. It's completely <laughs> open to... It's like an unregulated free market. And yeah. you need everyone to be a bit savvy. Otherwise, one person... Especially, I think it'd be fascinating with nine because all it would take would be one player to just identify one weak cog and just to quietly be slowly shafting them and getting better deals from them for the whole game. And that player would thrive. Which I think, if you're playing with people who are smart and funny and fun and accepting of that and able to laugh at that, fine. But I could see it being a game where... If you have one person who was you frustrated because you're like, you've got to stop giving them good deals, it could really get quite argumentative. Yeah, I mean, plus it's also like a two-and-a-half-hour game, two game uh, yeah. or maybe even three hours. So it's not like Cosmic or even Werewolf, where if someone screws up, it's wrapped up relatively quickly. Yeah, I mean, not these are literally just side caveats of me being like, I adore this, but at the same time, it's like... Like, for our game, like I was basically like just constantly... Uh, like I kind of like slightly tricked you for the entire game. Yes, um, which was kind of great. I didn't realize how exactly I made a central mistake. So the the squids that I was playing with, that I was so excited to play with, have an ability which is like a load of cards that they can't use. The squids grew up as a species that is of socialists, essentially of helping neighbors. So their special powers all make other players rich, mm-hmm. which sounds like a terrible power. Why is that useful? Well, because you don't have to make them rich for free. <laughs> like, yeah. so the whole game plan with the squids is you essentially become like a space wheeler dealer going, hey, you got those three cubes there. I can turn them into four, but you have to pay me whatever. And ultimately, what I the, that is already interesting. But the difference between Sidera Confluence being a good and a great game is that to make those deals work, I had to be creative. I realized far too late that I could have gone, hey, I will give you this converter. I, you can't even use it this turn. doesn't matter. I'll give it to you for five turns. Yeah. yeah. Which would have given me cubes early on. Like, I don't care what they do with it. It means I've got early cubes. And of course, because of the nature of economics, if, I have, if I'm richer than everyone else on turn one and I can reinvest that, then I'm richer than everyone on turn two and turn three and turn four. And effectively, yeah, like, I realized that about your character at the end after the game as well, of being like, oh yeah, because especially because people are overconfident about what they're going to be able to achieve, you're essentially selling them a gym membership. <laughs> like, hey, I'll give you this and you can come use it every week. And it's like, they'll use it once and then they'll go, oh, I've already paid for that. But it's done. But so, I mean, that's the thing is like, you had this thing of it was clearly a really powerful set of things you could do. The other players weren't terribly interested in it. Like, well, it's again, it's one of those... I used it and I ended up using it all the time. But it means, because you were so desperate for cubes through your stuff, you're like, hey Matt, how about this? And I'd be like, eh. And I wasn't like, massively deceiving you I was just constantly downplaying how much I cared about it and I had had some deals where I was like nah yeah, I'm not really that bothered nah it's fine and I was like had lots of deals where I looked like I was just going to walk away from it without caring when actually I really wanted it because it was so good <laughs> but I never let that on and it wasn't until the end of the game where you were like what were you just pretending that you didn't care and I was like oh yeah <laughs> well it's yeah but the difference is that I knew because I played enough games with you that you would just love that whereas I, I think some people like would be annoyed yeah like it's, maybe I mean yeah I agree that it's going to be divisive i think the game's going to be divisive i think the art's going to be divisive and i'm really looking forward to it's going to be a very difficult review to write and i couldn't be looking forward to it more great it's exciting stuff and i'm also looking forward to uh as we say in england tearing whiz kids off a strip for getting one of the most interesting designs of last year in their house able to produce it and putting together an art design for it that is so disappointing Mm, yeah i mean some of the art like I realised I was slightly cheating for a bunch of the game just because some of the iconography on the card just wasn't... And nobody was annoyed just because everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's just really not clear. Yeah. And it's like, mm, okay. But, you know, you forgive it because it's great and it kind of... It's in that same vein for me as shonky video games like Dark Souls and stuff of being like... Yeah, there's always that question of, like, how much do mad ideas like this come together without that degree of shonkiness or just get it out? Um, but yeah, that's, exactly. uh, that's something we can go into. We can complain that the art design of Sidereal Confluence isn't great, but, like... If it came along with great art design, I I would be shocked. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, it was only ever going to be published by a slightly lame publisher. Exactly. exactly. But still, it doesn't mean that we we give them a free pass. Nope. Because uh, we are life isn't fair. Real basically. dicks. Uh, very quickly, uh, let's talk about uh, the new game from Games Workshop. Yeah. Very quickly, let's talk about Warhammer. Sh- oh, I don't even know if it's called Warhammer Shades Spire. It might just be called Shade Spire. Anyway, Shadespire, the Shades- Warhammer Chronicles. Sh- Shade Spire. The Warhammer story, part two, more hammers. I'm not going to throw any Shade Spire because it was quite fun. If people want to Google this, it's called Shade Spire, one word. It's part of uh, an exciting new initiative from Games Workshop whereby... They make their own games? Yeah, they, they Fantasy Flight used to make the Games Workshop licensed board game set in the Warhammer 
what, Age of Sigma now universe and the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Uh-huh. Um, and then Fantasy Flight had that license taken away. So now Games Workshop are like, right, let's make some board games. And it's not bad. No, it's not. It's not at all. Like, actually, especially because when I looked at Space Hulk, I, I felt like there was a lot of weird stuff going on there in terms of like uh, attention to detail and production quality. It just didn't... There were things about it that I was like, ooh, no, this isn't quite right. But with Shadespire, it's a lovely box of things and the game is pretty fun. Yes, so it's set in... Like many things in Warhammer, it's a place where there is war happening forever. In the case of Shadespire, it's a weird cursed city where cursed bands of people fight forever. Mm-hmm. Each player has a band of like... Like four or five people they sell additional bands on the website yeah it's kind of a, the set you get in the box is asymmetrical you've got like five angry dudes versus three less angry bigger dudes <laughs> uh, I know all about the Warhammer lore ask me any questions if you've got any about that because you know as you can tell I'm a real expert Matt why are they actually angry? it's not three angry dudes it's two angry men and one angry lady and then maybe were there ladies on your team I wasn't really concentrating I'm no, just killing them okay. no there were five men because so, yeah Warhammer have got this thing of like we've talked about in the podcast before but uh, of course their universe is astonishingly hyper-masculine but they also are also aware of like you know the people who are young now are like more woke to do with feminism so they're going oh we can't make it too female too fast so we're gonna put like token women in in places and that feels honestly it feels like the best fine yeah it, it's like I mean it's, sure. it's, especially with space marine stuff like so much of that was just built around like insane hyper masculinity anyway and it's like but like slightly world. ironic masculinity yeah, it's yeah. kind of you know the well the, I think that the, the failure of that really I think was the fact they didn't they didn't double down hard enough on how horrible everything in that world is like when you look I mean, at the they doubled down on it pretty hard they did but it didn't work well it's, and that's the thing it's partly about how people react to it people still thought space marines were cool and it's like they're not cool well they it's the, the same thing, thing as uh, the starship troopers movie which yes. you watched as a kid and you're like oh my and of course the, the original starship troopers novel um but if people watch that starship troopers movie as a kid and thought oh that was a fun action movie watch it again as an adult and you will realize it's the most <laughs> nazi film you it's have. about fascism <laughs> yeah and it's amazing I, I read an anecdote about believe that. it or not the bugs are the good guys yeah and i read an, an anecdote about that of them years later of someone being like how did you get that through the studio and it was just there was a massive turnover of staff higher up in Sony at that point oh, and really? they just didn't look at it basically it was like the film just got produced and they, they just put it out there without even really I love, looking at it twice and I so love like, oh. in, in that movie when they at the very end when they capture the big brain bug which uh-huh. is like literally the brain of, of the bugs and the the SS uniform psychic comes out and puts his hand on it this horrible captured thing and he turns around and he's read its mind. And he says to the waiting troopers, it's afraid. And everyone goes, hooray! Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's the end of the movie. <laughs> We're going to win the war. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's awful. Uh, yeah, it's turning, But I mean, I guess more modern thing would be uh, the equivalent of Rick and Morty, I guess, of it being like, it's maybe not the creator's fault that people have been reading it this way. But once that's happening, you kind of need to steer the ship. Oh, uh, have people been reading the uh, cartoon Rick and Morty as like Rick being a cool guy oh absolutely yeah yeah it's been a huge thing everyone thinks Rick is like the best and the role model and it's like no <laughs> um, but then it's that weird thing of like you know that it's, it's not necessarily the creator's fault but then you're like but then if you don't address that in the long term then it is your fault well this is it yeah it's like so I guess they're trying anyway so Shades anyway. Pass fine <laughs> Shades Pass fine I, I liked it more than I was expecting to because actually like um, I find especially a lot of the older the roots of a lot of uh, Warhammer game design is a bit too dicey and a bit too kind of okay that happened but then what I found about it was it was a nice mix for me and I'm sure this is probably exactly what they intended it felt like a halfway house between Blood Bowl and X-Wing of having like hand of cards that you can use and then you can build your own deck with those cards to and a build and so there was an element of strategy but then there was also an element of like rolling dice to hit stuff and enemies getting like pushed back and having this blocking of Blood Bowl and it didn't sing to me, but um, it was fun. Yeah, I think the moment that I was the most disappointed, or like that sums up why I was disappointed, is you know you you have a fight, you have some objectives, and you ha- you have two hands of cards, one hand of objectives, and one hand of cool things you can do, and you can customize your deck, and uh-huh. so you can hit with different attacks. But like the way the game's like, once you finish a game, which takes about thirty minutes if you're fast, mm-hmm. or less than that, um, the the manual's like. It, it feels kind of random and then when you finish it the manual's like hey but just play three times and it's the best of three and it's like that is the lamest way to fix a game that doesn't quite work yeah like, because random games are fine if they're satisfying but yeah. it was like the way that the I read it as the designer saying this is neither satisfying 
nor is it quite fun enough. Mm. But if you play it three times, then it'll feel a bit more like you've achieved something. There was some strange stuff as well, and there's always that element of like, it's like games that have too many... And this was something that... um, Christian Peterson from Fantasy Flight talked about during the the old the old the founder of Fantasy Flight yeah founder of Fantasy Flight talked about in regards to rule sets and why with uh, Twilight Imperium Four why they kind of shifted away from the expansion rules things and just wanted to have a a core rule set is when you have too many optional rules he thinks it kind of puts the the onus on the players to work out how how to have the best experience which actually is like it can be fun for people but also is that fair? And I think especially with this, uh, my feelings, especially my main issue with the game was the the, the way that um, objectives work and the way your objectives were random of being like, I just got some objectives that were perfect for me in the first round. Uh, but then in the game, it's like, yeah, but you can build, you can deck build your own deck of your own objectives. But then it's kind of, to me, it felt like the objective system was the shonkiest aspect and by allowing players to build their own objective I deck, I, think I you, was like... Can you build objectives as yeah, well as can. just that's, that's what I was told that may be incorrect, but I think you can, yeah. But then I was like, I don't know how much I like that. It kind of feels like that felt to me like the the weakest element of design. And by if you put all of the design in the player hands of players, like, oh, maybe just build a better deck or this or that. I just was like, that option's good. But sometimes you get to a point where you're like, ah, maybe you should be taking responsibility for some more of this. You know what I, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I think I it, it at the risk of sounding like mega catty, I just don't quite see the reason that it exists aside from to push to push forward like yeah games workshop doing board games now or like because it's kind of a vehicle for the universe but not quite it's kind of a good standalone game but not quite it very much yeah. feels like a product of a games company going we need to make what board games now, now? Yeah. but like I, you know not necessarily feeling like me as a consumer can be like damn shade spire is going to be my game of choice nor is it going to nor is it accessible enough that i'm like yeah i'll pick up shade spire and have some fun it feels to me that like at the moment like the warhammer stuff that they're putting out is like absolutely bang on enough to like get people who really used to love warhammer um back into it in a big way and that's fine but it doesn't necessarily make it great and i think that's that's for me shade spire is like this is fun i've played that would i play again yeah i'll play again it's well fine. part of the coverage i'm going to do in 2018 is exactly this we have uh if people haven't read eric tonyo's uh, stuff on the site he's our miniatures writer he's a fantastic guy and we commissioned him over the last couple of years to review i think about six or seven of like the big miniatures games that aren't warhammer uh-huh. because once you get into miniatures if you're not so blinkered as to be like the warhammer universe is my thing actually loads of companies are doing such cool stuff yeah. um and yeah so i think for us we don't want to sound too down on warhammer no but in terms of shut up and sit down constantly trying to be like a, a sort of balance of justice where it's like we look for the stuff that people aren't talking about and try and big it up yeah like we like D&D but we cover the role playing games that are just as good that people aren't talking about yeah. similarly Warhammer's fine but we like to cover the other miniatures games and so yeah it's hard to be excited about Shades by when I've just gotten into as of this week Drop Zone Commander which is a game that Eric covered and I'm going to be hopefully doing a let's play of that on the site next exactly. year exactly and I think if I if you know if you like Warhammer and you love the models and I think it's just a, a great you probably and they, love it they do make the best models like, I've got friends who love Warhammer who bought Shades by and they think it's brilliant and it's one of those things where when we talk about this stuff I hope people don't feel like we're being mean because it's like if you love that that's great for you awesome you do you but it's just it's, it's valuable I think to have that perspective of people who are like you know I'm not that fussed about it is it worth getting on its own merits and it's like ah probably not um but yeah if that annoys fans then that that's unavoidable i guess what you gonna do no we're not gonna do anything about it i'm just gonna carry on my life oh that's a good idea yeah put your hand in my mailbag matt we have an interesting kind of unorthodox mail in the mailbag this month why are you smiling because I like your face. Aww. Um We've got a letter from uh, one Ross McCready, and he writes, uh, I wanted to flag something up you didn't mention in your Christmas pledge drive. The amazing play-by-forum section on your website. I haven't really got a question. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, the people there have let me experience a huge range of games I never would have found without them. I've escaped from a shady Star Wars cantina, failed to rescue a mare from his burning medieval tower, run a bar called the Skull and Roses in a strange apocalypse world, and helped create a disheartening future society in microscope form. All this and more, because this site exists. That's one hell of a CV. (laughs) Special thanks to Sleepy Will, whose grand Pendragon campaign has actually kept me awake at night. I'm so invested in the story. In the last year, he's written hundreds of posts and thousands of words telling the story of a small band of knights. Can you please let these people know how appreciated they all are this is a big part of why I come back to Shut Up and Sit Down Aww. again and again cheers that's Ross. lovely 
Yeah. I, I hope that the juxtaposition of Sleepy Will being a person who kept him awake was in, intentional. Because if so, that's a, that's a lovely bit of flair. In Good work, writing. Ross. Yeah, I think we don't talk. We're so much about face-to-face. I just wanted to flag up the idea that, hey, you can play games on the internet. As much as we're going to make fun of, like, Tabletop Simulator for just being, like, to us... Yeah, a very weird piece of software that essentially lets you play board games like digitally. When, mm-hmm. of course, because you and I came out of the video games world, you know what? Video games are pretty good. They're pretty good for playing online. Yeah, and it's also just basically like for us. A part of the reason we love board games is it's an excuse to get away from screens and sit physically with people. Yeah, However, it, if you have different life circumstances, then fine. Obviously, like I played tons of video games online when I was a kid because I didn't have people around exactly. me who could play that stuff. And if people are being able to play like role playing games on the Shut Up and Sit Down forum, my god. And here's the thing, like, if you want to get started with this stuff, if you're listening to this podcast, the Shut Up and Sit Down Forum is an incredibly lovely bunch of people. Mm, mm. Um, You don't have to donate or anything to get access. It's just a big button that says forum on shutupandsitdown.com. Matt, do you know about the Grand Pendragon campaign before we move on? I don't, actually, no. I've never been a forum person. Well, this isn't forum. This is is a pen and paper role-playing game that was put out, ooh, in the late 80s, 90s. not really ever been a massive one of these people, either. Well, hey, I'll give you the pitch, because this is... it's. It models like um, it's a it's a campaign where you role play as knights, right? And it's one of the it's a campaign that everyone who's into role playing kind of loves the idea of doing because it's just so big. Right. Set during the time of King Arthur, and it happens concurrently with like the whole Arthurian myth. Oh, so your knights have heard about this. And here's the thing: because that it takes like hundreds of years. You have characters, and then those characters have kids, and you play the kids. Yeah, you told me about this. It's cool. Yeah, and like, I don't know, man. The thing I find coolest is that those kids, there are periods in Arthurian myth where, like, there wasn't any war. So, like, you're you're playing the character where, like, your dad was a great warrior, but that kid, supposedly, there is a really interesting pinch point in the campaign where the whole rule system is based on, like, getting glory. But if there are no wars... You just can't get glory. So there's a point in the campaign where you're playing these kids who are like the offspring of great warriors who are like, nah, they just can't do it. That's too real. I know, right? It's... And then they, and then suddenly something happens and they die because they're useless. <laughs> but they thought they'd be great because my dad used to be. Yeah, well, you're not nothing. I just remembered. Do you remember when we were at PAX Unplugged and a man uh, came up and he was like, ah, I'm going to say something that's kind of oh. showing off now. That was so cool. He was like, I'm going to say something that's kind of showing off, I guess maybe he wants to talk It was about during it. the meet and greet where and we came and signed he explained things. that he was running... Uh, uh, two concurrent three concurrent three concurrent campaigns in the Star Wars role playing game yeah so Fantasy Flight Star Wars role playing game they've put out it's kind of a, a cheap way of <laughs> of selling the RPG but it does enable them to go quite deep they've they've set three rule books out for sale one mm. of which is uh, smugglers and scoundrels if you want to play like a hand solo type crew one of which is the Age of Rebellion where it, you know you play the rebellion and pilots and mechanics and fighters the third is if you want to play Jedi or not Jedi, I believe, like Force-sensitive exiles because you're not allowed to use the word Jedi. Mm-hmm. Now Disney own the license because there are only like three Jedi or whatever. So this guy, basically, he's running these three campaigns actually within different timelines, within the same universe. <laughs> and it yes. means that all of these different groups that he's DMing for are all different people, but they're people who know each other and might talk. And it means that when they talk about their campaigns, there's actually crossover with the characters they're meeting. So yes. they have things of being like... Oh, we're dealing with this general, and he's a real, he's a real piece of work. And yeah, he's got this big scar across his face, and they're like, the Delta team are like, we, we gave him that scar, yeah, like, like twenty years, years ago, yeah. And having it all connecting together, and having it so that it almost has this weird effect of like they can actually affect stuff. And, yeah. And we didn't get a chance to ch- chat to him for that long about it, but there was this implication that yeah, if like a character got killed in the the, the past, then suddenly the, there'll be a kind of ripple, and the future would change. I mean, he would just have to GM it in such a way that. A, a group has to be done with a character before he introduces it in the next. I guess so, but I, even that idea of he was like, oh, I'm pretty proud of this and like running these concurrent things with. I was like, that was. I just think that's it's so cool. It's such a cool way to turn like Fantasy Flight putting out like because to buy all of the like rule books for all three systems, you essentially have to buy like nine books mm-hmm. and uh, so many different um, books from Fantasy Flight, which is fine. Fantasy Flight are business; they need to make money. But to take that like business model that I always found like kind of not repulsive but like a little eye rolling and Uh do something so cool with it yeah it's just great it's really cool really cool folk game of the month so we kind of uh, wrapped up the folk game of the month feature Um, we thought it had run its course we talked a lot about weird sexy games people played in churches mostly sexy children and people hitting each other with sticks but we thought we'd put this feature to bed with uh, one last folk game 
So, dear Shalom Sit Down, this is from Amy. I have a folk game that I think might interest you, and I can't think of you having covered anything similar before. Some important background, when I was 16, I spent a year attending a youth mental health unit. The mental health wing of the NHS sadly had, and still does have, a reputation for being badly underfunded, and as a result of this, the few games available for residents to play were often old and broken, meaning we'd have to improvise around them. Uh, the NHS being uh, Britain's, uh, or the UK's, National Health Service. It's yeah, our, it's, it's our... where we get our medicine and doctors from. It's very <laughs> good um but not necessarily the uh the 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 mental health wing this folk game in lieu of an actual scrabble set the unit's games box instead contained a large bag of scrabble tiles somewhere around the triple the standard amount which is obviously far too many for a regular game make it a bit yeah you'd have some words that would just be like not words So instead, everyone played what was being dubbed Speed Scrabble. A whole bag of tiles would be emptied out onto the floor, and the task was simply to place them all into an interlinking interlinking pattern of words as quickly as you could. There was no real competition in this, since the cognitive abilities of the residents varied quite substantially. Instead, the game acted more like a puzzle, and occasionally a bit of a chance to spark conversation by playing obscure or interesting words. She says, I'd be interested to know if anyone else knows of other folk games born of similar situations, whether that's limited environments like residential hospitals or using broken games. And then she says, thanks for the podcasts, etc. And she says, Addendum, I've been thinking of sending you this game for a while as I thought you'd not only be interested in it, but is also confident you'd be considerate regarding its origins. What finally pushed me to send it to you this week was the announcement of yet another horror video game set in an asylum with evil doctors, scary patients, and so on. If you want to know what a game set in a madhouse, in brackets, uh, not brackets, for quotation marks, I don't know how to speak, should actually look like, it's a group of regular, if a bit quiet and nervous people trying to pass the time in the most inclusive way they can with the limited resources that they have. And yeah, so this is a, a lovely email from Amy. Yeah, I think um, I thought it was a really charming email and I love the idea of you know the residents of a mental health unit sort of clubbing together to take a broken game and make something really fun out of it right. that they can all play. That's really cool. But also, I didn't know if we really covered why this is difficult. So like, you and I, you know... Duh. We like to think of ourselves as like quite considerate people, but we're only that way because better people than us told us like why certain things were problematic or difficult. Yeah, yeah. And I remember like in the Time Stories review a while back, I have a really passing, really catty comment about how tedious it is that they have all of human history in Time Stories to play with. And the first scenario is a spooky asylum full of spooky patients who like eat people. Yeah. And... Uh, I didn't explain that in the review, so I thought this would be a good time to maybe talk about why Amy is correct that this is kind of a... It's its a really not great setting. Oh, no, it absolutely is, yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a problem, you know, that we more frequently see in video games. And also movies as well. And films, very bad, but occasionally it creeps into everything. It's a strange obsessiveness with a degree of, of I mean really it, obviously it is just ignorance yeah. um, but I think it's it's for me when I think about this stuff I find it fascinating just because you think well yeah, a lot of this stuff is rooted in images of what uh, you know asylums used to be like hundreds of years ago and we don't do that with hospitals like hospitals used to be these brutal horrible places where people were locked away for years because people had very strange wrong bad ideas or the prison we visited you know like, like in uh, Philadelphia Philadelphia like in the past people well, I had lots of very wrong-headed and quite brutal ideas about health and particularly mental health. But it's weird that people are still hinging on that for mental health when people would never do that for hospitals. You wouldn't have a game set in a hospital where it's like, oh, all the people are bleeding and there's blood everywhere. And like, <laughs> all the doctors are these crazed people who are like, I'm going to cut off your leg. I mean, doc- but the problem with this isn't that the doctors are, are awful. Yeah. It's... and. It's that the patients are awful. And ultimately, yeah. what you're doing there is you're taking people who are mentally ill, handicapped, it's like, or, or, you know, going through like just a tough time in their lives, mm-hmm. and you're dehumanizing them. Yes. You're saying that they are monsters in a way that's not even, like, it's accurate. Not, it's not even remotely okay. Yeah. Is the thing. I, you know, I have somebody who's, like, not a close friend, but a friend who was sectioned, like, years ago. Like, you know. I think that might be a British term. Uh, being sectioned is, is the point where like um, they decide that basically you're not able as a person because of your current state to, to look after yourself and you have to be basically forcibly taken into care and taken into in, you know into mental health care and often that's a process which means you've really you know you've really gone off the deep end and things have really unraveled for you in a way which is not ideal at all and often the process of coming back from that is one that's more difficult because it's not like you know I'm having some issues it's the issues of have gotten so bad 
um, that, that they've become a really like dangerous, either to yourself or other people, issue. And often this is something that can easily happen because people, you know, will be quite quiet about it. And because, again, it's quite quiet, normal people who are just having a bad time and then things can get worse. And again, he's one of the most quiet, normal, boring people I know. Like, <laughs> not, not to put in that, he's a very funny guy and he's a very interesting guy, but he's also a quiet introvert. He's just... He's just like anyone. Yeah, so if you were wondering why occasionally Shut Up and Sit Down uh, rolls their eyes or points accusingly at uh, board games that have themes that are with spooky patients in spooky asylums, it's because it is not fair to people who are going through this and it comes from a place of not understanding you know you might have an easier time if you imagine what if there was a game set in a prison where the prisoners weren't even human weren't even recognizably human yeah and then you're oh and obviously there are you know there's fiction that does that doesn't make that fiction okay but you might be on your way to understanding why this is something that we think isn't really cool especially like it's horror you know the amount of different directions you can take horror are like limitless if you're yeah. a horror fan and i am you are, you can just be like endlessly creative well it's just so it's, it's, it's like kind of what's the word it's it's just trite on top of it everything is else. Just trite. I mean, that's often the the root problem with most stuff, which is problematic. Is it's not. It's just that it's thoughtless. It's not. It's that. That's just part of why it's thoughtless. And if you haven't put thought in something, it's probably not going to be good for a whole bunch of reasons. And that's just one of them. But no, I mean, mainly, I guess it's 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 sad that, that especially in you know the modern era where so many people have have problems with mental health. Like I've had problems with mental health the last year, like because of my thyroid. It's all chemicals going wrong in your head, and it's often not your fault. Um, but it's that thing of you know. People are, used to be really afraid of that. People still are afraid of it. And when you see this stuff popping up, which is like, oh, mad people are frightening. It's like, again, it's it's not just bad for people who are currently having problems. It'll be bad for you one day. Because if you start to feel bad, then you will feel you won't be able to talk about it. Because you've, you've had this sort of culture being like, but that's what happens and people tear off limbs. And, <laughs> and it's just like, nah. Yeah, I, uh, I remember feeling really proud for a brief period i was like i had a bit of swagger in my stuff i was like yeah we talk about our mental health difficulties on shut up and sit down i talk about how i'm really depressed sometimes or i struggle with creativity and you know more people should do that yeah more people should just talk about difficulties they're having like with their own psychology right and then i think it was you who pointed out you know we're allowed to do that yeah. because we're our own bosses yes but if you work in an office and you talk about your mental health or depression then you you know that doesn't necessarily look no. on, look well on you for it's, like promotion. It's a real roll of the dice. It's a and that's the thing is like some people in some places are really modern, but I'm very aware of that. I'm very aware of the luxury I have to be like you know. And luckily, I'm also very lucky that I don't have any severe problems. I have patches where it's rough, but gosh, some people have like really serious issues and they really need medication. And I'm lucky not to. And if you're listening to this, thinking you know what, this doesn't seem like an appropriately jolly discussion it's not for very a Christmas podcast. Is it? No, actually, this is the time of year when people struggle the most with mental health difficulties when yeah. people are expected to spend time with their families when there's a lot of financial pressures also when it's cold when it's dark when you Everyone's know everything's expecting you to be happy and everything shuts down as yeah. well you don't get that same routine you lose it I'm worried about Christmas because I've been working so much and I love working and I'm really I don't know how I'm going to deal Matt, with not you have working. To stop working I know I do but I'm sure basically it's it can be a hard time so if you're looking forward to a fantastic you've hit your elbow then I did I, I do that all the time people think I do it on purpose and reviews for comedy but I've just got no control over my arm <laughs> but people may be settling down for a wonderful happy Christmas and if that's you awesome that's fantastic but if you're having a rough time then that's fine as well and we is hope it? that it's well it's not ideal but, <laughs> but don't beat yourself up about it and things will get better and we hope that they get better quickly yeah that's uh, that, yeah well said this is just a moment in time and uh, and 2018 is a new year things always get better at some point you just gotta yeah I hope I'll get better at Sidereal Confluence you won't I'm gonna beat you every time I should not made this claim. You're totally going totally to beat me again in the future. Oh dear me! Oh dear! Oh dear! Anyway, um, that's been the. E- this is the end of, of 2017 for Shut Up and Sit Down. Also, actually, yeah, we're going to be shut down for a while, but uh, Quinns is putting together a little post about all of the best things from this year that we think. Things that we think, yeah, you know, obviously that's on the list. That was brilliant. We all think, oh come on, Quinns, that's tr- so obvious. But then there'll also be things that, like you know, oh wow, yeah, this one slipped through my net. What a corker! Ooh, what a treat! You know, uh, it's. We're lucky that like the videos and podcasts we do, people can find them easily, but the written stuff gets lost really quickly. Uh, it falls off the radar fast, yeah. Yeah, so if you want to make sure that you've caught up on the very best written stuff, which is up there with the best stuff we do, I think. And also, the Roundup article uh, that is going to be on the site in like a few days, if you're listening to this early, or right now, if you're listening to it a week later, uh, that is going to include links to the previous times I've done this. So it's going to be like 
Also, you can read the best stuff we did in 2015, 2014. So you're going to have pots and pots of words. Yeah, it's to a good read. time for reading articles. I think Christmas as well, because often you'll be watching. You know, you might find yourself watching television in a room with people where you you don't want to watch this actually. Like you know, I love, I love, <laughs> I love the Doctor Who Christmas special. But oh, my a lot wife of people hates Doctor yeah, see, Who so much. Some people hate it, and so if you're sitting there, you can you can smile and be like, yeah, I'm having fun. When actually you're like, I'm reading articles on my phone because I hate this. Um, yeah, that's we my were, We were almost merry for a moment there. Are <laughs> no. you going to do... Are you cooking this Christmas? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm just consuming. I'm okay. being a consumer. I'm doing the full Christmas dinner. I'd love to do that, but I'm, I'm going to stay with my in-laws, so I'm going to just basically keep my head down and smile. Brussels sprouts, man. And I'm going to play Mario on my Switch. It's Brussels sprouts and walnuts. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it's a recipe that Lee put me on too. Can I chuck a bit of chorizo in there? Could do. Treats and sprouts. Trying to eat less meat, specifically less pork. Yeah, I mean, that's both pork and meat. It's two in the bingo of, of meat bingo. Yeah, that's true. So it's almost almost a line. Quickly, let's turn off the podcast before we become boring old men. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.